Though UFO experiencers are often visited alone, Travis Walton was apparently taken by a UFO for five days after it was seen up close by six of his friends and co-workers. Despite the efforts of police, debunkers, and journalists to discredit their account of events, neither Walton nor any of his co-workers have ever admitted to a hoax, and all seven tell the same story today. The men's testimony is considered some of the best evidence for extraterrestrial visitation to date, and Walton's fantastical experiences during his abduction, since dramatized in film and television, are now deeply embedded in the public imagination. In 1975, 22-year-old Travis Walton of Snowflake, Arizona, was working as a logger on a seven-man crew under the supervision of his longtime friend, Mike Rogers, a contractor with the U.S. Forest Service. Walton and Rogers, as well as Alan Dallas, John Goulet, Dwayne Smith, Kenneth Peterson, and Steve Pierce, were contracted to thin the trees around Turkey Springs in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest, northeast of Phoenix. On Wednesday, November 5th, the sun set around 6 p.m., and shortly after, the men shut down and piled into Roger's truck for the drive back home. Along the way, they saw a bright light peeking through the trees to their right, and worried it was a fire or a plane crash. As Rogers drove closer and stopped the truck, the men were able to see the source of the light through a thinner patch of trees. Hovering just under 30 meters away was what the loggers called a classic flying saucer, like two gigantic pie pans placed lip to lip, with a dome on top. They guessed it to be between 15 to 20 feet in diameter, and about 8 to 10 feet tall. The object glowed with a golden light that poured out from uniform panels around the body, divided by strips of dull silver. It was perfectly still and made no sound at all. By his own admission, Walton had long been drawn to risky situations, and says that he was seized with the urgency to get a closer look at the UFO before it flew away, so he ran up behind a pile of logging debris. As his co-workers shouted at him to get back in the truck, Walton approached within two meters or six feet of the UFO before it emitted a cacophony of mechanical sounds and began to wobble erratically on its axis. Before Walton could escape, a bright blue-green beam of light shot from the underside of the object with a sharp cracking or popping sound. The beam hit Walton in the head and chest, and he immediately felt the effects of high-voltage electrocution, including full-body paralysis, before being knocked unconscious and sent flying backwards. His co-workers saw Walton soar through the air and land about 10 feet from where he'd been standing. His co-workers flew into a panic and immediately drove away, but when they realized that the saucer was not following them, Rogers stopped the truck. Through the trees, he thought he saw the outline of a golden disc streak away into the sky and made the decision to return for Travis. When the men arrived at the site, however, they found no trace of either Walton or the UFO, so they drove to the nearest phone booth and contacted police. Deputy Ellison of the Navajo County Sheriff's Department was the first to respond to the call and speak with Rogers and the men. Soon after, Sheriff Marlon Gillespie and Under Sheriff Ken Copland arrived and drove three of the loggers out to search the area. Though they found nothing, Sheriff Gillespie felt that the men were being sincere 
and he too had seen a large glowing UFO in the county a few years earlier. Gillespie began a search of the forest at sunrise with a team of more than 50 people from the Forest Service, the county search and rescue team, and local volunteers. All of the loggers joined in the effort but Steve, who was still in a mild state of shock. Rogers said that during the search, he saw an evasive man in a Forest Service uniform scanning the area with a Geiger counter. He only ever detected background radiation until he tested the men's hard hats, and the needle jumped to four times the level of background radiation. The man just stared at the loggers before walking off, ignoring their request to test the truck. After two days, the search grew to include air support, and word got out to the media. Soon after, William Spaulding, an investigator from the Phoenix-based group Ground Saucer Watch, visited the site and reported unusual electromagnetic readings, as well as residual traces of ozone. The search widened again on November 9th, the fourth day of Walton's absence, and police, members of the public, and even members of Walton's own family, increasingly suspected that the men had simply fabricated the story in order to conceal a homicide or fatal accident. All six loggers were questioned extensively, and on November 10th, they underwent polygraph testing by Cy Gilson, the polygraph examiner from the Arizona Department of Public Safety. Some of the men didn't trust Gilson, and Alan Dallas was so agitated by his questioning that it rendered his charts unreadable. Despite this, however, Gilson wrote in his report that he felt that all the men were being truthful. Gilson was so confident in his analysis, which afforded him a rare opportunity to test six different accounts of the same event, that he claimed that he had proved that the men had seen what they believed to be a UFO. Around midnight that night, roughly five days and six hours after his disappearance, Walton regained consciousness lying face down on the side of a road outside of Heber, Arizona. He looked up to see a white light switch off on the bottom of a highly reflective, silvery saucer-shaped UFO hovering just above the road in front of him. Walton had only a few seconds to guess that the object was roughly 40 feet in diameter and 14 feet tall. Then, in an instant, it shot directly up into the sky without any sound at all and disappeared from sight. Walton stumbled to a payphone and called his brother-in-law, who, along with his brother Dwayne, drove out to pick him up. Believing that he had only been gone a few hours, Walton was shocked to be told that five days had passed since he was knocked unconscious. He was able to recall little more than an hour of what had happened in this time, though the memories were still too traumatic to recall completely. Though he didn't appear to be injured, his eyes were red, and stayed that way for a while. After failing to sleep, he met with his mother and sister before being taken to Duane's home in Phoenix to see a doctor. The next two days, Walton underwent medical examinations and confirmed that he'd lost over 10 pounds since his disappearance. Travis also spoke with Sheriff Gillespie the day after his return. Walton claimed that his first memory after his encounter with the UFO was slowly regaining consciousness and feeling an intense pain, as though he'd been burned all over his body. After opening his eyes, he saw a bright rectangular light above him. 
He then noticed that he was on a raised table in a triangular-shaped metallic room, which he thought was in a hospital. Walton tried to move and speak, but couldn't. He noticed an unusual object four to five inches thick, seemingly made of a dark gray metal, or shiny plastic, curved along the length of his abdomen. As he slowly regained his vision and mobility, he realized that he was surrounded by three figures that he took to be doctors, until he looked into two huge luminous brown eyes. Disturbed by the eerie gaze, Walton leapt off the table and threatened the three beings with a glass-like cylinder that he found nearby. The beings were just under one and a half meters, or five feet tall, with pale white skin, large bald heads, and large brown eyes. All were wearing seamless orange jumpsuits. The object on Walton's abdomen fell to the floor, emitting a green light. Despite a barrage of questions from Walton, the beings never responded or interacted with one another. Eventually, they backed away and left the room. Walton then exited the room from the opposite side. He walked down a curved hallway, passed an open door, then entered a second one, which led him into a spherical room, empty but for a high-backed metallic chair in the center, and what appeared to be the outline of three closed doors along the walls. As he approached the chair, the room darkened and a pattern of stars appeared around the room, as in a planetarium. The effect diminished as he stepped back, and returned again when he got closer. After examining the screen and many buttons on the arms of the chair, he tried pushing some, to little effect. He then sat in the chair, which was a little too small for him. He pushed a lever and the stars began rotating around the room. Not knowing what he was doing, and feeling dizzied by the rotating effect, Walton stood up to look for an exit. Shortly after, Walton heard a noise come from the doorway, and turned to see a muscular, human-looking male in a blue jumpsuit and helmet. Walton stated that the man's only peculiar features were his eyes, which were a golden hazel color. Though Walton asked him many questions, the man only smiled slightly, but never spoke. He took Walton by the arm and led him through a hallway, and into a bare, small room where they waited for two minutes before another door slid open. This led them to a ramp leading down into an enormous, hangar-like room, with a rounded roof that curved down to the floor. Walton noted that the structure that he exited was distinctly larger than the UFO he'd seen in the forest, though it was similar in shape. He also noticed a few other saucer-shaped objects on the floor of the large room. The man led Travis across the large room and down a hallway, past another set of automatic sliding doors, and into a room with three more human-looking beings. Two men similar in build and appearance to Walton's escort, and a woman with straight hair past her shoulders. All had blemish-free skin and the same strange golden hazel eyes. They wore the same blue uniform but without the helmet. Though Walton resisted, the beings took him by the arm and laid him down on a table, and placed a type of breathing mask over his mouth. This was Walton's last memory before passing out, and waking up on the highway. For years, Walton was hounded by the press and public to speak on his experiences, and forced to defend himself from accusations of fraud or mental instability. 
However, medical tests showed no signs of trauma to Walton's head, and no trace of drugs in his blood or urine. Regardless, Walton became the target of repeated and malicious smears, recklessly disseminated by the media. In Walton's words, enduring the public's reaction was a hell which nearly overshadows the experience itself. To clear his name, Walton requested a polygraph, but said he wanted to avoid crowds and reporters. Gillespie and Walton agreed to arrange a confidential polygraph with Gilson, but when Walton received a call from a reporter asking about the test, Travis skipped the appointment. The National Enquirer then sponsored a confidential test from a private firm, which Walton agreed to. However, his distress in recounting the events, as well as the examiner's discredited practices, rendered the results inconclusive. Soon after, Professor James Harder, Director of Research for the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO, performed regressive hypnosis on Walton. The session marked the first time that Walton was able to verbalize his experiences without being overwhelmed by emotion, but he did not remember any new details. A couple of months later, Walton and his brother Duane each passed another polygraph. Nevertheless, the initial test was leaked to the press and hurt Walton's credibility with the public. Debunkers have levied a number of explanations for the loggers' stories, but most assume that there was fraud at hand. Philip Class was the most persistent in trying to discredit the men, positing that they'd staged the event to get a 10% payout from their logging contract. This despite the fact that the payout would have only amounted to under $400 per conspirator, and the fact that Rogers defaulted on the contract, which ended up costing him more overall. Despite offering to pay for any polygraph tests that the men could pass, Class delayed indefinitely when they accepted his offer. In 1993, Rogers and Walton revisited the scene of the encounter and noticed that the nearby trees appeared to have grown exceptionally fast in the previous 18 years. Walton returned to visit the site with director Jennifer Stein in the summer of 2014 as part of a feature-length documentary on the case. Walton and Stein, as well as scientists from Frontier Analysis Limited, examined the growth rings of cut trees in the area and discovered that in the 15 years after 1975, the rings were four to five times thicker than in any previous year. These trees produced wood fiber at over 36 times the rate of the recent average. A complete core sampling showed that this effect was only on the side of the trees facing the UFO and diminished with distance. It's been shown that radiation can cause excessive plant and tree growth, as seen at Chernobyl, for example. In 2017, scientists Phyllis and Bruce Budinger of Frontier Analysis Limited completed testing of soil samples taken from the site. Their analysis found elevated amounts of iron, calcium, magnesium, and potassium compared to the off-site control soils. Walton took two more polygraph tests in 1993 with Cy Gilson, and two more in 2008, all of which he passed. In 2009, he appeared on the TV show The Moment of Truth, which employed an outdated and unvalidated methodology. 
although Walton passed many relevant questions, he was ultimately judged to be lying. Over all the years since their experience, Walton and the other loggers passed 16 different polygraphs of increasingly rigorous methodologies. The only two that Walton didn't pass conclusively used discredited methods. To establish the facts of the case, Walton wrote a book on his encounter titled The Walton Experience, published in 1978, and later republished as Fire in the Sky. Since then, the event has been a favorite on UFO and paranormal shows. The case was profiled in a 1991 documentary, Visitors from the Unknown, and in a 1993 episode of Sightings. Around the same time, Walton accepted an offer from writer and producer Tracy Torme to turn his story into a movie after being assured that it would remain true to the facts. However, in the final version, released as Fire in the Sky in 1993, Walton's experiences aboard the craft were almost nothing like he claimed. Five of the loggers were reunited to retell their stories, some of them for the first time on camera, for a 2012 episode of Sci-Fi's Paranormal Witness. All of them remain deeply affected by the incident. Cy Gilson and Sheriff Gillespie were also interviewed. Stein's documentary was released in 2015 and featured interviews with many of the same figures, as well as Deputy Ellison. Walton has become somewhat of a reluctant hero in the UFO community, making occasional appearances at conferences and other functions. Nevertheless, he insists that the event remains a negative one in his life, and that he wishes he had never left the truck the night of his abduction. Walton also expressed that he now feels that the ray that struck him was accidental, and likely fatal, and that he was taken so that the crew of the UFO could revive him, and correct the damage. From the silver saucers to the short, bald beings, there are many details in Walton's story that would seem to indicate the involvement of extraterrestrial entities. The brown-eyed beings are similar, though not identical to the greys of UFO lore, and waking up on a medical table is a common element of alien abduction narratives. But the abduction phenomenon has much older historical roots that reach back long before it was ever thought to be due to aliens. In 1759, for example, a Swedish farmer's son named Jacob Jacobson, another young 20-something man on the return journey of a work trip, strayed upon a strange red mansion in a place it hadn't been before, and wandered inside. Jacobson met a number of short, mostly silent beings inside, as well as an attractive human-looking woman, before somehow being transported back outside. When Jacobson returned home, he was notified that he'd been gone for four days, though like Walton, he remembered less than an hour of that time. It may be that both men were taken by the same kinds of entities, whether fairies, aliens, or something else entirely. The Travis Walton incident is now a classic of UFO lore. Though it's rooted in the testimony of the loggers, it is also supported by the physical effects on Walton and on the trees around the UFO. Many, including Walton himself, believe that he was taken aboard an extraterrestrial spacecraft and healed by alien beings. Whether they saved his life or not, they certainly left their mark.
YouTube's been suppressing our videos for a while now, and there's no guarantee that our channel won't be demonetized or deplatformed altogether. Supporting us on Patreon, PayPal, or Buy Me a Coffee is the best way to help us counter censorship. Think Anomalous is created by Jason Charbonneau. Research by Clark Murphy. Music by Josh Chamberlain.